Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, welcoming you to OESA Automotive Insiders, the podcast from Original Equipment Suppliers Association. Very happy today to be welcoming Jason W. Bank. He's a member of Kerr Russell in Detroit, and he's a chair of the firm's Bankruptcy and Restructuring Practice Group. Those of you not familiar with Kerr Russell, Russell, shame, shame, shame. It's a full-service business law firm that represents numerous automotive businesses with all aspects of their legal needs, and we have had many of Jason's colleagues here on the show in the past year and a half. So, Jason, welcome. How are you today? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. Happy to have you. We have an interesting topic we're going to be talking about today, Jason. It's a good word. It's a bad word. The word is bankruptcy. And the corollary to that, what we normally think of it is chapter 11. That's not a chapter in a book we all want to read on our night table, if I can make make a funny out of that. So before we get started on our topic, and I'm going to find out a little more about your background, but I want our listeners, our viewers, if they see the video, to, to know exactly what is this today. We're doing this in October 2021, Jason. What is the meaning of bankruptcy now? What exactly is a chapter 11? Just give me a little background, please. So Chapter 11 is a business reorganization. It's where troubled businesses go to sort of restructure their financial affairs. So some people say have a second shot at life, so to speak, to try to deal with their debts. And recently, Chapter 11 has been a place that businesses also go to sell their assets. Like Chrysler famously went into Chapter 11, and that was a sale of assets. So it's a way to keep the business going. It's a way to preserve jobs and then to get as much money back to creditors as you can. Very interesting. Um, Yes, I want to bring one more of your credentials in here, Jason. I should have mentioned this. You are a certified mediator and vice chair of the mediation panel for the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Eastern District of Michigan. Where does mediation come into this whole process of bankruptcy, Jason? So mediation is a critical part of a lot of bankruptcy proceedings. And a lot of times, especially with the business in bankruptcy, it's been referred to as a melting ice cube, right? You have a business that goes into bankruptcy that is already having financial issues and is is sick, to to put it mildly. Um, And sometimes in a bankruptcy proceeding, you have a business that is fighting for its very survival. The longer it's in bankruptcy, the worse chance it has to survive. And then you're spending a lot of money as a business in bankruptcy on legal fees and accounting fees and things like that. So sometimes if there's a dispute between a creditor and a business in bankruptcy, mediation can come in and play a great role in trying to resolve that issue, reach a settlement, and help the company to emerge from bankruptcy intact. Thank you. Can we relate this to the term mulligan in golf where you get a do-over? Is it about like a do-over? I think it is. That's a great analogy. And what I like to say is that bankruptcy is kind of the land of broken contracts, right? So outside of bankruptcy, you enter into a contract where you agree to pay for services or pay for goods. Somebody ships goods to you, you agree to pay for that. 
And outside of bankruptcy, you're required to pay for that. And if you don't pay for that, um, you can be brought into court and have a judgment against you. So, so bankruptcy, you're allowed to go in and say, yeah, we, we broke that contract. We kind of want to re- re- rewrite the contract. You know, maybe we're required to pay you 100000 under the contract. Under bankruptcy court, maybe we're only going to pay you 50000 or maybe we'll pay you 10000 Maybe we'll pay it to you over time. So, well, again, I think is a, is a good term to use for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. As somebody on one of my other radio shows brought that up to me. I think it was a quote from something, and and I, I just realized that it, it sounded like it. I, I have a question for you. I don't know if anybody ever asks you this, Jason, but what's the significance of the number 11 in Chapter 11? What happened to Chapters 1 through 10, and why isn't it 12 or 20? Am I allowed to ask this? It's a great question, and you know, as somebody in law school, I look back and think, all law all, all laws should be based upon some type of an order. And that's how the bankruptcy code is based upon. It's based upon chapters in the book. And why they decided that chapter 11 is the business bankruptcy um, chapter, I don't know. It probably goes back to the old bankruptcy act that dealt with what chapter 11 was. But every book, every chapter within the bankruptcy code has a specific meaning. And some chapters are just definitions. Some chapters deal with contracts. Chapter 7 deals with individual bankruptcy, 12 is farmers, 13 is another individual. So it it is something that is sort of intuitive from that standpoint, and it helps you to kind of follow along at home, so to speak. Thank you very much. I appreciate Follow the bouncing ball from chapter to chapter. Jason, I have to ask a personal question. I ask this of all of my guests here on Automotive Insiders because the first word of the title of this podcast is automotive. Do you remember your first car? Ooh, Jason? I, I do remember it. It was a 1981 Chevy Chevette. It was a beige Chevette. I was born and raised in Saginaw, Michigan. And so my father and uncles all worked for the auto industry. And this was back in the early 80s. And it was almost like earning or owning and driving a Chevy Chevette back in the early 80s was like a rite of passage. You, you almost had to have it in order to really learn, you know, with the stick and all that. Uh, it was something that everybody in the family at some point had one. I was going to ask if it was a stick. You answered my question. Thank you. Did it have a bench seat or bucket? Probably a bench seat, right? It was a buck. It was a bucket. Yeah, it, it was, was a bucket. bucket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. Okay. Very, very cool. Any uh, moonroof or any any fancy accessories like that? Nothing too exciting. We were just happy when it got <laughs> from point A to point B. I remember being a freshman or a sophomore in college and driving it to a Tigers game with a bunch of buddies and installed out on ninety four and said a very uh, quick prayer, and I got it going again and had a nice night that night. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the car facilitated. Let's get down to our topics here. Interesting. We've given some background, and thank you for the background on the meaning of the number 11 in that chapter and what a bankruptcy actually is. I like the do-over part, although the people on the creditor side might not. We'll get to that in a minute. Jason, let's talk about an automotive business in a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, has to prepare a comprehensive plan to restructure its financial affairs. So if you could take us through the beginning, the middle, and the end of that comprehensive plan, I don't want this to turn this into a, a lesson, but how? what does the plan look like? Is it something that could be digital? Are there forms and formats for this? Is it something that follows the structure of a play, you know, introduce the scene and then the characters and then all the details fade in and fade out. What does this plan look like, Jason? Yeah, so there are, I guess, a couple of different elements to it. And when I refer to a plan, there's there's two different sort of 
plans involved in bankruptcy. And one is the bankruptcy plan that is set forth under Chapter 11. And like the book we talked about, Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code provides, these are the things that you can have in a plan. This is what a plan is supposed to do. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, the other thing about a plan, though, is the small p business plan that every business should have, whether you're in bankruptcy or not, or whether you're a startup or whether you've been in for 100 years, every business should always be working on what their business plan is. And so what the bankruptcy code does is it sort of combines the elements of both the, the, small, b, the small p business plan and then the plan under the bankruptcy code. And the, the plan and how you draft the plan is actually very form-driven. You see a lot of the same structures of the plans in a lot of the different cases. But what the plan actually does is very different in a lot of different cases. And so the elements of a plan, you have to tr- set forth how you're going to pay back your creditors. One thing about bankruptcy is that companies go into bankruptcy because they're in default with their creditors. And sometimes it's with your secured lender who's providing you with financing. A lot of times it's with your trade vendors, the people that are providing you with goods and services. It might be the person that's, you know, leasing you a copy machine. So there's a whole bucket of creditors that you have to figure out um, how you're going to repay and upon what terms you're going to repay those creditors. And then another important element of the plan, of course, is to figure out what tools within the bankruptcy code can be used to help improve your business. So, for example, one thing that a bankruptcy allows you to do is to reject unfavorable contracts and leases. So, if you're a business and you're renting a 50,000 square foot facility and you really only need 20,000 square feet, you're paying a lot of money and a lot of your revenues are going toward an expense that you really don't need. And so, bankruptcy allows you to reject that lease and potentially move into a, to a smaller place of business as well um, and to, you know, basically reduce expenses. Um, the bankruptcy proceeding and the bankruptcy plan is also very driven upon, we talked about a minute ago, the business plan. And the question is always asked of a company in bankruptcy, how did you get here? What caused your financial issues? And then what are you going to do to fix those issues to, as you said, Bonnie, your mulligan, how are you going to make best use of your mulligan? How are you going to ensure that you're not going to fall into uh, rough financial straits again? And so any company can go into bankruptcy and any company can follow the bankruptcy code and file a plan if you have a lawyer that's helping you out. The critical thing that I always advise clients on is that you have to think long and hard about what your plan is as far as being able to return the business to profitability. And sometimes that might involve management going out and getting a financial advisor uh, to help assist them, maybe a restructuring expert that's, that's been involved in uh, distrust auto businesses and can provide some guidance on how to uh, you know, structure that plan. But in a general standpoint, the plan at its most fundamental elements, you're supposed to set forth how are you going to pay back creditors. And then the other element of that is you're supposed to provide details on how you're going to implement the plan. And a plan can simply provide for a restructuring of your balance sheet. Like I mentioned earlier, if you have a million dollars worth of debt, okay, how am I going to pay that back or how much am I going to pay that back? 
you know, overnight. And then it can also allow for various modifications of the of the business itself. A business can sell substantially all of its assets in a chapter of it. That can be its sort of its game plan to emerge. And that's what Daimler Chrysler did back in the day um, when they filed bankruptcy. And then there can also be a recapitalization. You can bring in uh, exit financing. There's a whole host of things. The way that I describe it to my clients is that the mulligan allows you to have that whiteboard that a lot of us have in our office and allows you to sort of kind of do a do-over and and sort of outline how do we want our business to look and and how are we going to make the business profitable going forward. Thank you. Very interesting. And I I have two questions for you. Number one, I'm thinking instead of calling it a do-over like a mulligan, it's really a do-better. Isn't it, Jason? If you're talking about restructuring, looking at bad contracts, bad whatever it is, maybe you started out ambitiously with a 150,000 square foot plant or or a factory or conference room, <laughs> and, and you say, wait a minute, because of the pandemic downturn or because of the problem with the disruptions in the supply chain or the lack of chips or whatever it is your business is based on and needs, the fuel for the business, if you will, things have changed. And now that you're in bankruptcy, you can say, this isn't working for us because. So the do better sounds interesting, but I'm thinking you brought in so many elements. How long does this take, Jason? Does it take on average, I don't know if there's such a thing as an average. Let's say a, a tier one or a tier two supplier. Does it take six months to make the plan, the comprehensive plan for Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing? Does it take a year? Do you need to hire more people, more legal eagles, if you will? I don't know why I said that. What does it take to, I'm sure people are thinking, well, maybe we should, but what does it mean? I don't want to get into too many of the gory details, but just give us an idea. What are we talking about in terms of time commitment to do this? What do you say? Yeah, so the bankruptcy code provides for a default of 120 days for a company to come up with its plan of reorganization. And for most businesses, as a small business or even a middle market business, that's more than enough time. And uh, as we like to say, and as we like to advise our clients, the, the more time you spend in bankruptcy, the more expensive it is, and the more harmful it is for your business because you're spending as a, as a CEO too much of your time talking to, to guys like me as opposed to being out and trying to grow the business and, and do the things that you traditionally you know, have to do. So, so 120 days is sort of the minimum. And then you can get further extensions of up to 18 months to be able to file a plan. So a lot of the, the larger businesses, as you can imagine, that file bankruptcy and go through a traditional plan process um, require a lot of time. And, and the one that comes to mind is um, Kmart. You know, Kmart, the old retail store, when they filed bankruptcy, it took them a long, long time to file a plan because they had so many stores, so many leases, and they really had to do a deep dive and figure out, you know, what stores are profitable, what stores we want to keep kind of a thing. Now, that was sort of a, you know, that didn't turn out so well for Kmart, but um, that's an example of, and sometimes with bigger businesses, it is something that takes um, longer than the four months for sure to put a plan together. Thank you very much. I had no idea. Interesting to know. 120 days doesn't sound like a lot of time at all. Now, okay, you do your plan. You bring in your advisors. You take a very clear-eyed, hopefully, look at what you've committed to, what you can afford, what you can't afford, what you shouldn't be paying for, how to do better, how to do over, how to build back, how to grow. All wonderful. And you put your plan on the table. You put a bow on it, Jason. 
that's not the end of it. It needs to be approved, including by your creditors. And I think in some cases, metaphorically or or virtually, maybe today or literally, they're lined up outside the door. I should be first in line. I need to get this. You owe me that. How could you? How dare you? Now I can't stay in business. Ripple effect, domino effect. Talk to me. How does this work with the approval process? Jason? Yeah, it's a very, uh, it can be very challenging, as you can imagine. And the more creditors you have, the more challenging it can be. And um, one of our, our former chief judge of the bankruptcy court in Detroit used to indicate that a lawyer for a company that's in bankruptcy has to act like a symphony conductor. And you know how a symphony conductor, you just get up there and everybody plays the instruments on their own. It sounds terrible. You kind of have to get everybody to kind of play together. And it can be very, very difficult because you're dealing with a lot of very frustrated people. And the one thing that is critical in any bankruptcy case, small, medium, or large, is that um, I, th- I think a lawyer for the business in bankruptcy has to approach the process, the plan confirmation process, as a collaborative, let's try to work together, let's try to figure something out, let's try to come to, come to some resolution. People think of bankruptcy as a court hearing, and of course it is a court hearing, and some people think of, when they think of court hearings, they see it on TV and two people shouting at each other. And that's not what you see from somebody like myself representing a company bankruptcy. If I want to go into court, if I want to be talking to people and telling them and, and being adversarial to them, it's going to harm the business's ability to, um, to reorganize because ultimately to get a plan approved, um, you have to send out the plan to all your creditors. And if a creditor is not getting paid everything that they're entitled to get paid, under their contract. So if they're owed $100 and you're only proposing to pay them 40 cents on the dollar kind of a thing, you actually send out a ballot to all your creditors and the creditors get to vote. They get to check a box. Yes, I approve the plan. Um, No, I do not approve the plan. So it's very critical for uh, a company in bankruptcy to do whatever they can to I almost say like work the phones, but try to get these yes votes, try to get creditors to support the plan. And that really involves a company going into bankruptcy and being open um, with all of its financial records. Um, if, if creditors want to see financial records, give them whatever they want within reason. There's court requirements that say you have to file financials with the court. And then you file detailed schedules because ultimately, and you, you touched upon it, Bonnie, the fact is, is that there is a priority scheme within the bankruptcy code mm-hmm. and a secured creditor, which is generally the bank that will loan money to the business and provide funding for it to fund its day-to-day operations. The secured creditor will typically get a lien against all the assets and under bankruptcy law and non-bankruptcy law, that allows the bank to get paid first, essentially, ahead of any unsecured creditors. And so sometimes there's a lot of education that goes on. I think with all the auto automate, with all the automotive bankruptcies that have taken place, I think a lot of um, creditors out there understand sort of the dynamic and think, oh yeah, the bank always gets paid first or they're going to get paid maybe all their money or most of their money and we're going to get paid kind of whatever is left over. But ultimately that voting process takes place and then you have to go to the court and the court has to approve the plan in a confirmation hearing. And the confirmation hearing is where the court will consider your plan and it will consider um, any objections to the plan. And 
if you are as a business work out all the objections and you have people supporting the plan, the confirmation hearing can take five minutes because the, the judge says mm-hmm. sees that oh everybody's in favor of it looks good to me plan approved you're out of bankruptcy as opposed to if creditors are objecting and there's they're lodging serious objections then you have um, a lot of hearings you have sometimes evidentiary hearings which are many trials that can last days into weeks and so on and so forth. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about the plan process, which is an interesting way that I tend to look at it, is that the bankruptcy process allows the company to propose the first offer, so to speak, and to propose a plan on how they how they propose to pay back their debts. That's not how, how it is outside of bankruptcy. Outside of bankruptcy, a lot of times the creditors are saying, I want this, and if I don't get this, I'm going to sue you. So often in bankruptcy, the plan that's proposed at the beginning is not the plan that ultimately gets approved. Sometimes it's the first offer in a series of negotiations that ultimately leads to a resolution that all creditors, or hopefully most creditors, will, will sign on to. Interesting. I'm thinking of a couple things. I'm thinking of, can this marriage be saved? Which was a column in a magazine of my dating myself, the Ladies Home Journal, where they had, I think, a psychologist and a, and a lawyer talking about, can this marriage be saved? And I'm thinking of in a wedding ceremony where the officiant, whatever they are, a, a, a legal person or a, a religious person, says, is there anybody here who objects to this union? I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm visualizing them in court and saying, does anybody here have a problem with this? It's an interesting, interesting pros- a process. But do you see the ripple? Is there a ripple effect sometimes, Jason, where businesses on the creditor side lining up and there's not enough money or they're getting 20 cents on the dollar instead of that full dollar, which they invested in providing goods, providing services? They're never going to get it back. Is there a Chapter 11 ripple out from the original one? Yeah, I think that there is. And I think that's a lot of what you hear when I talk to creditors and their attorneys. And sometimes I talk to creditors directly because a creditor will call me and say, I don't want to hire an attorney to go into this bankruptcy case where we're not going to get paid much. And they indicate that this is going to, you know, our ability to collect this receivable, this money that's owed to us may cause us to consider filing for bankruptcy. Um, and a lot of times in cases, you will have, you know, as much as you work very, very hard to get consensus and get creditors on board, you will have creditors that will sometimes um, just not go along with the program, right? And they're going to be say, hey, I, I'm not going to vote yes, or I'm going to try to object, or I'm going to raise this issue or that issue. And that's just something that you have to deal with. And ultimately, if you can't come to those resolutions and get creditors on board, that's, that's what the judge is for, and ultimately you're hoping that the judge will approve a plan over a creditor's objection. And you as a mediator probably see a lot of this firsthand. Just let's do a, a state of the union or a status check, Jason, if you can. We're now, we're taping this podcast, or we're recording our segment in almost mid-October 2021. Pandemic, 18 months in. U.S. manufacturers, automotive, complete stop, mid-2020, 48 days, not a single car came off those lines, trying to get back in, chip shortage, supply chain disruption still going on, materials expensive, lots of delays. In terms of bankruptcy, are you seeing more now, fall 2021? Are you seeing fewer? Is there a trend that you would like to share with our listeners? 
Sure. And, and a lot of people will be surprised to hear this, but the bankruptcy filings have been down overall, and they've been down in the automotive industry as well. You just have not seen a lot of automotive companies that have gone into bankruptcy. Now, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been automotive companies that have been um, you know, experiencing distress, but in a lot of those circumstances, in the current climate that we're in, those automotive companies are able to work out resolutions with their creditors uh, and their key stakeholders outside of a formal court process. And as I look at kind of the evolution of my career, you know, the first 10, 15 years of my career, I've been doing this for about 25 years, first 10 or 15 years, and this, this coincides with, you know, the 2000s, um, all sorts of automotive bankruptcies. There was all sorts of automotive suppliers that were having, uh, you know, liquidity issues and ended up having to go to bankruptcy. I would say for the last five to 10 years, it, there, it's been more of the exception. Um, and when the pandemic hit, I think a lot of people in my business in the restructuring bankruptcy business thought that there would be another wave of bankruptcies just for the reasons that you stated, that everything was sort of shut down and it didn't seem to happen. And I still haven't seen it happening yet. And I think that is a testament to how strong the automotive industry is and how how they are much, much better able to weather the storm now than they were, say, you know, 10, 15 years ago during the Great Recession. Uh, because the pandemic, you know, everything was shut down and it didn't seem to mm-hmm. have an issue. On the other side of the fence, though, I think during the pandemic, creditors, like I said, have been a lot more uh, understanding and reasonable. Whereas in the past, maybe a creditor, if you missed a, a payment, uh, if there was a, a default with a bank, maybe the bank sends a, a letter of default and says, we're coming after you. Now the banks are more interested in having discussions and trying to work things out and um, trying to, to see if a resolution can be achieved. And ultimately, most businesses don't go into bankruptcy unless they have creditor pressure pushing them in. Interesting. I have one last question for you, Jason, and we really appreciate your sharing so much of your expertise with us. Question is, back to my comment about can this marriage be saved? Does a business, is it easy for a business, do they come to you as a mediator, as an attorney to say, should I file Chapter 11 bankruptcy or should I just shut my doors? Is that a, I can imagine that would be a wrenching decision, especially for a business that was a new high energy startup that really had a vision of saving the world and doing things great, or a company that's been around for a long, long time. It would be a whole separate show to get into that. But for automotive suppliers, that decision, column one, shut the doors, column two, do over, mulligan, do better. What's your quick thought about that? Yeah, no, it's a very, very difficult decision. And what I tend to have is people calling me and thinking, oh, they got to file bankruptcy and shut it down. And I tell them, it's like, you know, unless the creditor is pushing you, you don't necessarily have to shut it down, but you have to make the decision on whether you want to keep fighting in the good fight, so to speak. And sometimes it involves needing additional money. And sometimes, especially these smaller businesses, the owners have put so much money into it, or they basically foregone salary and it's really up to them and, and they they probably don't like it but I always sort of put it back to them I said it really depends on how much you want to put in how much money you want to invest in this but ultimately it comes down to a business plan if you're building something you're if you're in some segment of the market that's clearly going south or is not a big significant anymore then you really need to think long and hard about going into chapter 11 may just be delaying the inevitable and that doesn't make sense to do that thank you 
writing on the wall, writing on the comprehensive plan, writing on the balance sheet. Jason W. Bank, Kerr Russell, so grateful to you for your time, for your knowledge, for your expertise. Thank you for telling me about your car story. Appreciate that. I know our listeners will appreciate all of your insights. I was intrigued, of course, you and I spoke before we started recording this, that bankruptcies are down. That's a big surprise, and that's probably good news. So keep doing what you're doing. Say hello to all your colleagues at Kerr Russell for me. I feel like I know quite a few of them. I want to say thank you to Drew Rhodes and David Johnson at OESA for inviting you for putting this together and thank you to you jason w bank and thank you to our engineer aaron keller at voice america radio i'm bonnie d graham signing off jason stick around we're going to take some pictures signing off for another very interesting edition of automotive insiders presented by oesa wave goodbye jason thank you very much it's been a pleasure bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.